Well, here we are, the last Sunday of the year, the last Sunday of 2019. Next time we all get together, it'll be 2020. If I were a betting man, I would bet that the majority of preachers today are preaching a sermon similarly titled to mine, 2020 Vision. I think most of us are probably using that idea of a 2020 vision. It even sounds strange to say the year 2020. As long as I can remember, when you say 2020, there are these connotations of clarity of vision, of of healthy vision, of perfect vision. But when we think about the year 2020, it's always been one of those that's just out there. You know, sometime in the future. It's one of those years that we've always speculated. What will 2020 be like? It, It seemed like it was so far away. And we'd have to admit that our vision's not always been clear. Back in 1999, do you remember when 1999 seemed like that was a long way off? And, and now it's a long time ago, but it feels like it was yesterday. It feels like we just did that. Uh, back in 1999, a futurist named Ray Kurzweil, futurist, I mean, it's a guy that takes the information he has today and looks at trends and tries to predict what's going to happen in the future. In 1999, futurists... Ray Kurzweil predicted that by the year 2020, the average life expectancy would be 100 years old. Well, we we are having a birthday this week, right? I mean, we are having a 100th birthday with Viva, uh, but other than Viva, I'm not sure how many of us are making it to to 100 years old. Way back in in 1911, uh, a surgeon, a member of the British Royal Academy of Surgeons, a man named Richard Lucas, he said that by 2020, Evolution would have removed our four outer toes. And so instead of five toes, we would just have one big, big toe at the end. He thought by, by 2020, evolution would have done that. Now, if you're one of those people that goes and gets pedicures, uh, that would make that interesting. I mean, how would you know? I mean, I don't know if that would cost you more or cost you less, uh, having only one big toe. That would be interesting, but I still have all my toes here in 2020. Um, in 1994, the Rand Corporation, the Rand Corporation predicted that by 2020, we would have trained animals to do menial labor. That we would have animals that would take care of all the little jobs that we didn't want to do. We have animals that cleaned our house. We have animals that, uh, that ran errands for us. And that we would even have ape chauffeurs by 2020. Now, I've done a little bit of driving around, and sometimes I think there are some animals out there driving because they they don't always seem like they know what they're doing. But I don't have an ape chauffeur. I don't have a monkey butler yet. And in 1966, Arthur Clarke said that by 2020 we would have flying houses. Makes plumbing more interesting, I suppose, doesn't it? And in 1950, Popular Mechanics, I love this one, Popular Mechanics said that our homes would be made out of material so that when it came time to clean the inside of your home, you'd just take a big hose and you'd hose down the inside. You can try that now if you want. That, that will work. 1966, Time Magazine said of the year 2020, nobody will work and everybody will be rich. That sounds less like a 2020 vision and more like 2020 wishful thinking. That's the danger of our selfishness. Uh, are we looking ahead just for what we want? Are we looking ahead to how we can make 2020 better? How many 
Uh, how many times do I have to say it? It's not about us. It's not about us. So how do we make sure that 2020 and what we want out of 2020 isn't about us? What can we make it about? We're going to look at Acts chapter 20 today, verses 17 through 21. It's page 929 in those Bibles in front of you. If you want to follow along on your Version Bible app, if you have one of those on your phone, uh, you can follow along and you can see the notes right there on the Version app. <clears throat> I will confess, when I started planning what to preach for the last Sunday of the year, I looked at this passage because I thought, how cool would that be to preach Acts 20.20 on the last day of, of 2019? And as I looked closer, as I studied the passage more, I began to see there's, there's an awful lot of stuff here that we need for us. We, we need for, for our future. The words here in this chapter, these are part of Paul's farewell address to the elders at the church in Ephesus. Paul had spent a lot of time in Ephesus. And he was getting ready to say goodbye for the very last time. He was, he was getting ready to leave them. And we began 2020 or 2019. We began the year 2019 in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, living as children of light in a world of shadows. And as we looked at Paul's letter to the Ephesians, we saw who we are, who we are called to be in Christ, who our world needs us to be. And here in Acts 20, as Paul recounts his time in Ephesus, he recounts how he lived, he recounts what he taught them, he recounts how he served and the impact that he and the church made together. Luke starts us off with a little background here. He says in verse 17, Now from Miletus, from the city of Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus, and he called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility, and with tears, and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. To hear Paul's words, you realize his time in Ephesus was not easy. If you remember what Paul says to the Corinthians about his time in Ephesus, he says, we despaired of life itself when we were there. His time wasn't easy. <laughs> there were no flying homes for Paul in Ephesus. There was no 100-year lifespan, and there definitely was no riches without work. There was no riches at all. And Paul is honest about his struggles, and yet as he writes, he is confident, or as he speaks, he is confident about his character. And just as Paul looks back, we can also look ahead. We can look ahead with the same commitment, with the same call. We can look ahead and we can let the focus of our faith fuel the mission of our church. So let's take Paul's commitment here. We're going to take it as a challenge for ourselves. Just as he wanted to be remembered for his work in Ephesus, let's be known for what we do where God has placed us. Let's be known for the way we serve. You hear how Paul begins there in, in the second half of verse 18. He says, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in 
Asia. You hear the confidence. There's an openness about that statement. You yourselves know. Paul wasn't hiding who he was when he was with them. He wasn't hiding his intentions. He wasn't hiding his plans. There's an openness and there's an honesty in those words. The way I lived among you the whole time. Paul identified with the people that he served. Paul identified with the people of Ephesus. We might remember Paul. History remembers him as Saul of Tarsus. That's his actual given name, Saul. And then Tarsus is where he's from. History remembers him as Saul of Tarsus. The church remembers him as the Apostle Paul. But for two and a half years that he lived in Ephesus, he was Paul the Ephesian. He saw himself as one of them. You know, the people in our community, the people that we serve, they they don't need to think of us as that church. They don't need uh, to think of us as, as those people. We need to be their church. We need to be the church that is for them. And we are, we are Kansas. We are Edgar County. We are Tri-County. And I think we get that and I think we feel that here. But is it felt out there? Do people see us as their church? Whether they're here or not, do they see us as a church that is part of their life? As part of who they are? If they're going to see us as part of their lives, it's going to be because we're involved in their lives. Paul ties the way the Ephesians knew him directly to the way that he served. He says in verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. It doesn't sound like Paul had an easy time. In fact, there are those who opposed him while he was in Ephesus. There are those who plotted against him. But that didn't change who he served. That didn't change why he was there. He was there to serve. No matter the need, no matter the cost, he served even with humility, even with tears, even with trials. And I hope those words challenge us. I hope they challenge the way that we serve and and who we serve. And I hope they challenge us to ask, where do we draw the line? Where do we draw the line when it comes to serving others? At what point are we saying, well, we've served enough? At what point are we saying, well, we're done serving? Do we stop serving when it becomes an inconvenience? Do we stop serving when when it starts costing us too much personally? Is that it? Do we stop serving when, well, there's someplace else I'd rather go? There's someplace someplace else I'd rather be? Do we stop serving when it costs us too much time, too much of our energy, too much of our resources? You know, folks, no one is too old to serve. No one is too young to serve. No one is too good to serve. No one is too new to serve. If you look over in Philippians, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul calls those people to look to Jesus. And he says in Philippians 2, verse 3, he says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. And here in Acts chapter 20, he says, I served with all humility. He goes on in Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, and he points them to Jesus who, who made Himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus took on the role of a servant despite tears, despite trials, despite plots against Him. The very mark of a Christian, someone who follows Christ, the very mark of a Christian is someone who serves. So we should serve. That's who we are. That's who we're supposed to be. And if we're going to have any impact on our community, if we're going to have any impact on the future, it's going to be seen in how we serve. 
We have a message for the people of our world, though. We have a message for our community. The first, they're first going to see that. They're first going to need to see that in how we serve. But beyond that, we have a message to declare to the people around us. You know, Paul's time in Ephesus wasn't just marked by how he served. It was also marked with what he said. Look at Acts chapter 20, verse 20. Acts 20, 20. Paul says, How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house. I love how he starts out, I did not shrink from declaring. In other words, I did not hold back. Paul wasn't concerned that, well, what if this message offends somebody? Well, what if something I say about Jesus, what if it offends them? Uh, what, if it, what if it hurts them? He didn't shrink back from telling them that. And what did he not shrink back from declaring? He says, anything that was profitable. Anything that was profitable. Some of your Bibles say anything that would be helpful. What it means is anything that was best suited for you. What you needed, in other words. He didn't just preach the Gospel. He presented the Gospel as the answer to their needs. And in fact, if you look on down, he kind of sandwiches verse 20 uh, with verse 27. And in verse 27, Paul says, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. There are people in our community, there are people in our community who are dying without Jesus. They're dying without hope. And if they're dying without hope, that, that means they are living hopeless lives. And, and here we are, we have the message of the greatest hope imaginable. The last thing they need is for us to shrink back. The last thing they need is for us to not tell them. And yet, i got to be honest, that's exactly what a lot of churches are doing. A lot of churches aren't telling the, the whole counsel of God. A lot of churches are shrinking back on the message because we don't want to hurt people. We don't want to offend them. We, uh, and so uh, they teach people things that just make them feel good about themselves. That's, that's not what we need. That's not what they need. For the last several months, I've been looking ahead at, at 2020. Believe it or not, I actually planned this stuff out. Okay, I actually planned these things out. And so I've been looking ahead at 2020. And what am I going to preach in 2020? And, and I've, just, I've felt the burden and I've felt the need in my heart that, that we need to just go back to Jesus. We need to look at the Gospels. We need, to, we need to just go back to Jesus and who He is and the stories that He tells and the people that He encounters. And, and we just need to go back to the Gospel. So I, I had this feeling on my heart that I just need to preach a Gospel. One of the Gospels. But which one? Because we got four of them, right? we got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so I put together a little sheet earlier this year, and I listed all four Gospels. I listed what those four Gospels talk about, what their focus is. You know, Matthew focuses on prophecy. John focuses on the eternal Christ and, and, and who these guys all focus on. You know, Luke or Mark always focuses on what's immediate, what's happening right now. And I, so I laid that all out and I gave that sheet to our elders. I gave it to a few other people who I knew prayed and, 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 and would think very deeply about this. And I said, I just want you to pray for a while and get back to me in a few weeks about which one of the Gospels we need to hear in 2020. And almost, almost all of them came back with the same answer. They came back and said, we think you should preach Luke, the Gospel of Luke, in 2020. Now, why the Gospel of Luke? Most of the action in the Gospel of Luke takes place in little towns. Most of the action in Luke, takes place in little communities, not in big cities, 
Uh, Jesus is always on his way to Jerusalem. Uh, but most of the action in Luke takes place in little cities, little towns, little communities, with little people that Jesus meets on his way to Jerusalem. Luke focuses on people that others reject. Luke focuses on people that others condemn. Others just walk on by. Luke's, Luke gives attention to people that society doesn't give a second thought to. Luke spends a lot of time talking about women in his gospel and the role that they play. You know, your elders and, and others said, we need to hear that. We need to hear that for our church. We need to hear that for our community. And so we're going to make our way through the Gospel of Luke in 2020, uh, and we're going to look at the people that Jesus encountered. Encounters with Jesus all through the Gospel of Luke because I believe that that is profitable for us. I believe that that is profitable for the people that we encounter every day. People who need to hear that the good news of Jesus is for them no matter how small they might feel, uh, no matter how worthless they might feel. They need to hear that Jesus is for them and we don't need to shrink back from that message. But, you know, it's not just about the message. It's about what the message calls us to. And as Paul told the Ephesian elders, let us commit to our own community. Let's commit to calling our community to Christ. As Paul sums up his work among the Ephesians, he reminds us in verse 21, he reminds us that he testified both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to think about that. Paul says, I testified. When you testify, when you testify in court, right? If you've ever had to testify in court, you tell the truth. You tell the whole truth, and you tell no, nothing but the truth. As George Burns said in the movie, Oh God, so help me me, right? He played God. You tell the truth. But you tell the truth in court for a reason. You tell the truth so that someone can make a judgment based on the truth that you tell. You tell the truth so that someone can make a decision based on your truth. Paul didn't simply declare who Jesus was. He called everyone to repentance. He called everyone to faith. He wanted His story to change the stories of the people around Him. And if you notice, He says there in verse 21, I testified to both Jews and Greeks. And you need to hear that. Jews and Greeks. Paul was a Jew. Those were his people. That's the belief system that he grew up in. That's what he was most comfortable with. Uh, those were the people who ate the foods that he had grown up eating and did the things that he had grown up doing. Uh, those were the people with whom he was most comfortable. And yet, those are the very people that he said in verse 19, they were plotting against him. Uh, they were causing him trouble. And yet, he went to them and he preached the Gospel and he preached repentance and faith in Jesus. And then he says he went to the Greeks as well. Now the Greeks... That was a very different culture. These were people with, with very different values, very different lifestyles. They did things that would likely make, people, make Paul feel very uncomfortable. And when he first came to Ephesus, if you remember in the book of Acts, those are the people that got him thrown in prison. I mean, he says the Jews were plotting, but it was the Greeks that, that got him thrown in prison when he first got into Ephesus. But Paul didn't hide. He didn't hide away in the church. He didn't hide away in the church with, with people who thought like him and who worshiped like him and who did the same things that he did. He didn't hide away in the church just with his friends, just with the people like him. He reached out and he allowed himself to be uncomfortable for the sake of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I am very eager in the next 
coming year or so, I'm eager to see what next year's census says about Edgar County and Coles County because the stats were the same. You've heard me say it many times. The, the, the 2010 census for our counties say that 57% of our friends and neighbors, 57% of the people in our county have no faith at all. They're not Christians. They're not anything. They weren't raised going to church. Their grandparents didn't take them to church. They don't count anything as, as their faith. And it's likely that among those 57%, there are people that make us feel uncomfortable. There are people who do things that make us feel uncomfortable. You know, like sleep in on Sunday mornings. Stuff like that. And maybe a few other things. There's likely that people like that make us feel unwelcome even in our own community. So what's the answer? Do we shrink back? Do we just hide in here? And do what we, and just keep doing what we, what we do? Or do, do we get in their face? I don't think we just get in their face. I think we keep on serving. I think we keep on telling. I think we keep on loving. And I think we keep on calling them to Jesus. The call is clear. We need to demonstrate the love of Christ in the way that we serve. No matter the inconvenience, no matter what they might say about us, we need to keep sharing the message because we know the message is profitable. We know that it's going to make a difference to them. And we make sure that the people around us know that there is absolutely nothing greater than the grace of Jesus Christ. That His grace is greater than their sin. And when they feel like a failure, His grace is greater than their failure. And when they know that they have made a mess of their lives, they know that His grace is greater than their mess. And if they don't hear that in our message, we'll testify it with our lives because He saved even us. Everything we do declares something about us. What do we want people to hear? I think they're going to hear a lot in 2020. I know they're going to hear a lot in 2020. What are they going to hear from us? Are they going to hear something that's going to last? Are they going to hear something that's going to continue with them? I mean, you think about 2020. Beyond the politics. Beyond the elections. Beyond our own preferences and even beyond our own prejudices. Are they going to hear something profitable? Are they going to hear something that we won't shrink away from? Something truly worthy of our worship, of their worship. Are they going to hear about Jesus? We're going to sing a song in a minute. And I've roped Amy into coming to help me because you don't want to hear me just sing a song. Amy's going to come help us in a minute here. Just, you know, come on, come on up. <laughs> We're going to sing a song, and like I say, it's a new song to us. It's, it's words that you may not be familiar with, but you know the tune. It's Old Lang Syne. You know, should all acquaintance be forgotten? And never come to mind, you know, most of the words. But it's more than a song, it's a challenge to us. It's a call for a commitment from believers like you and me that when our lives are over and when our lives are accounted for, what will our labor be shown to be? What will we have given our lives for? Who will we have lived for? If you look on down in Acts chapter 20, Paul concludes his time there with the elders from Ephesus. And the very last thing he says in verse 35 is this, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how He Himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. I want us to be able to say that. That by 
hard work, we have shown this and we have helped the weak. I want us to be able to say that. So let's have, let's have 2020. Let's have a 2020 vision of giving, of giving of ourselves, of serving our community, of holding not just to the message of Jesus Christ, but holding to Jesus. And all glory be to Christ. Just stand with me. Let me pray. And then we're going to go through the song. Just let you hear through once with the, 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 uh, the first verse, and then we'll start singing. Father, we stand on the brink of a new year, on the edge of a, of a new decade. And yet, it's not the new that defines us, and it's not the date on the calendar that forms our foundation. It is the unchanging, all-powerful message of Jesus Christ. And so as we enter a new year, we pray that through Your strength, we may not shrink back from Your message. We pray that we would never fail to present the Gospel as the greatest gift that You've ever given us, and as a gift that is profitable for the community that we love. And above all, we pray that in everything that we do and say, Christ would be glorified. All glory be to Christ. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.